The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So as we get into the Word, there's a few things that we're going to find. I like for you to write down these things if you have note-taking materials because they can just encourage you the things to look forward to. And when we're going to find out about eternal life, I mean, what, what makes up eternal life? I think it's important for us to understand that, to come into an awareness of that. Oftentimes, as we've had the gospel preached to us or as we've preached the gospel to others, it involves eternal life and eternal destination. I've been in a, a lot of church services where at the end of that service, you would hear someone say this, you know, if you died tonight, you know, and of course their question is, where would you go? What's your eternal destination? Well, we ought, to, we ought to look at eternal life and get to know what eternal life is and what this thing is that God has made available to us and opened up the door for in Jesus. A second thing we're going to find is what you are called to. Called to, and if you are uh, Mr. Andrews, Mr. Lancelot Andrews, with his shower cap and his, you know, sweet facial hair. You were called and recalled, and then called, what was the word that he used there? Called, recalled, and further calling manifold. <laughs> Basically, I like the way this guy prays. You can see the, the humility in his heart. Uh, in fact, he talks about God being long-suffering, and then he, he goes on to say long, long-suffering, you know. Yeah, for me, it's long, long suffering. So uh, when we look at that prayer, you can see he's, refer he's responding to, he's giving thanks for, he's acknowledging that God has called him and that God is relentlessly calling him. That that calling is, is something that wasn't just a one-time thing, but that God is continuing to stir that call. Well, we have a call on our lives, and we need to acknowledge what that is in order that we might respond to it. And then a the third thing we're going to find is what is always successful. Always successful. I, I don't know about you, but I deal with problems. Do you deal with problems in your life? I mean, the relational problems, workplace problems, challenges, issues. I mean, some of those things are internal. They're personal. Some of those things are relational. Some of those things are, are, uh, exist financially. Some of those things exist in every different aspect of living, but we deal with problems. When we know what's always successful and we're able to apply that which is always successful, we're going to have a, a greater result when facing and dealing with problems. So I want to get right into the word, what is eternal life? I want to talk about eternal life for a moment. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to the Gospel of John chapter 17. Uh, we've talked about John 17 on occasion because of, of the, the massive amount of wonderful and inspirational words that are, are revealed to us in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is Jesus praying, and he's praying for you. If you were ever curious to know how Jesus felt about you, you can read John chapter 17 with the understanding that this entire prayer is being prayed for you, and you can have a, a, quite a, a wonderful and magnificent picture of who Jesus is in your life as uh, your king and redeemer. He prayed these words for you. And as he's talking to God, he's praying to God the Father. He's praying for you. And as we get to about verse 3, Jesus speaks something. He reveals something. He, he reveals something about eternal life. And in verse 3, Jesus is praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son 
that the Son may glorify you, even as you have given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So that's the gospel there. Then Jesus goes on to say, this is eternal life. Did you see that? So what you're going to hear after that statement is going to be what eternal life is. This is eternal life. That they, they is you and me, that they may know you, the only true God and the Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. Now, you, we were here earlier in the service when we blessed the kids and we talked to the kids about the difference between knowing about God versus knowing God. And we, we blessed them to know God as their father, as their maker, as the one who won't leave or, or forsake or fail them. Uh, this is the difference between living the life that God has established for us and struggling and, and desperation. Knowledge of who God is is one thing, but knowing in fellowship God is a completely different thing. In fact, it's life-giving. Now, when we come together as a congregation or when we live out our lives as Christians, we're surrounded by materials that want to tell us about God. Information about God. I can go into Christian bookstores and I can find all kinds of books that can tell me all kinds of things about God, but I've never walked into a Christian bookstore and seen him there for a book signing. Where I got to meet him and shake his hand and maybe go out and have lunch with him and just get to know him. But God has made himself available by his spirit to every single person that we might have fellowship with him. That we not be content with just gaining knowledge about him, but that we have intimate connection and communication with him. And this is life. This is the life that God has called us to. This is the purpose behind the gospel being fulfilled, that we might have fellowship with God. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. I told you there was another thing we were going to find in, in the scripture today, and it was going to be what you are called to, called, recalled, and called further manifold. You have been called and called again to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You were called into fellowship with Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that passage of scripture there is short and you could blow right past it to continue reading and, and dig further into the context. But I want to pause there. I want to ask myself and for you to ask yourself, am I walking in this calling to walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ? Or is my Christianity simply a gathering of information, a, a receiving of more knowledge about who he is? As a believer, am I growing in relationship with Jesus? Now, I mean, relationships are different because people are different. And oftentimes, we can only really measure against our own life experience. I remember when I met my wife, I, I fell in love with her very quickly. And there were things about her that, that were amazing. And so I put on my best show to try to impress her. You know, it's, we call that peacocking, you know, where you're like. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it took time for her to actually get to know the, the, the real me. 
Because after a while, the peacock puts his feathers down. It's not, it's like, it, it took time. And the more time that she spent with me, the more she knew me. The more time I spent with her, the more I knew her. You know, and all of the things that, that existed in infatuation began to, to, to you know, uh, fade away. And the relationship actually began to be built. It's a funny thing how we, we talk about love and falling in love and, and all of those things. It really is. It almost, the way we, we romanticize it as something that's automatic or, or something that, that requires no effort is really misleading. When the reality is it was the spending time in the gaining knowledge and understanding of who the person really was, that's really how we began to know each other. And God's no different in the sense that he's desired, he's opened up the door that we might have fellowship with Jesus. He's called us to fellowship with Jesus. He's made it known that eternal life is fellowship, knowing him as the true God and the Christ whom he sent. That's Jesus. Not knowing about them, but knowing them. Time spent. Surrender and submission. If you were here on Wednesday, it's going to ring a bell. If you weren't here on Wednesday, you might ask Thomas if he can share the notes. He spoke a little about what's required for, for there to be a true fellowship and affirmation and love. It's a really wonderful teaching. But we have a call, and that call is not to know about Jesus. That call is to know Jesus. Now, there's something that, that you have to come into an awareness of uh, immediately. I mean, right out of the chute. You know, there are, are passages of Scripture that, that require that there be the belief that Jesus rose from the grave, right? I mean, if you're talking about salvation and you're, you're printing out tracts to hand out to lead people to Jesus, many times people will quote out of Romans, you know, that that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. I mean, what an interesting thing to add, you know. I mean, it's not just if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you'll be saved. But if you confess with your mouth, that mouth excuse me, not your mouse, but with your mouth. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. It goes on to say that it's with your mouth that you confess and are justified, and it's with your heart that you believe and are saved. But believing that Jesus was raised up from the dead, why is that so important? I mean, I'm, I'm asking you that, not so that you'll answer out loud, but I want to pause and let the wheels turn. Why is that such a big deal? I mean, is confessing that he's Lord not enough? If I were to confess that, yes, you are the Alpha and the Omega, you're the beginning and the end, I am nothing without you. Why is that insufficient? Why do I have to believe that he came out of the grave, that he ascended to heaven and he lives forevermore? Why is that important? The reason why I believe that's important is because I cannot have fellowship with a dead man. You can't have fellowship with a dead man. It's not just the memory or the legacy of Jesus Christ that is the foundation of our faith. It's the man, Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone of our faith. He's alive and He has made a way for us to have fellowship with Him. God has called us into relationship with Him. To spend time with Him. To speak to Him. To listen to Him. 
to give unto him what he's worthy to receive from us and to receive from him that which he would bless us with. Fellowship. You were called into fellowship with God. Now, there's something that I believe we need for fellowship. I, I think it's important. And really and truly, once again, I'm going to mention Wednesday night. If you've not made a way to, to participate in Wednesday nights and you're able to, please come. And if you can, if, if we can get notes from last Wednesday or something along those lines, I think it would be very helpful. But if you did miss last Wednesday, don't feel like you, you can't understand based on where we're at today. I think there's something that's important and necessary for fellowship. And I think we'll find it in the scripture here in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 1. I want to look at verses 5 to 7. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now what we're looking for here is what's necessary for fellowship. If we're called into fellowship with Jesus, and if Jesus has called us into fellowship with one another, and the word reveals to us what's necessary for fellowship to exist, we ought to prioritize that which is necessary, that we might fulfill our calling. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in the darkness, then we lie and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sin. It's a passage of scripture that we ought to read and reread. For the purpose of letting the Spirit of God reveal to us the truth that it contains. But as we look at it here this morning, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. We see that the cleansing, we see that the fellowship, we see that those things are contingent upon walking in light. Truth. Jesus himself, as the light of the world, being shined throughout all of the world, in us, operating through us, ministering to us, walking in the light, honesty and truth, leading to true fellowship. I jokingly referred to days of courtship as peacocking. It was years before my wife would truly know who I was. And it wasn't because of, of any insufficiency on her part or foolishness or or, or any dullness to her senses. It was because of the facade that I was walking in. I heard a minister one time talk about uh, courting and, and beginning the relationship with who would become his wife. And he said, I had this car. It was old and it had been wrecked on, on one side. And so every time that I pulled up to pick her up, I would drive all the way around the block and I'd pull up with the good side facing the house, you know. Well, I mean, it's kind of dumb, right? But the truth is th those things exist. We, we want to present the facade. We don't have a bad side. It's all good, but don't, don't walk on that side. You don't, don't look over there. Just, just right here. Get my good side. 
We can have fellowship with God that way. And we can have fellowship with one another that way. And the reason why we would do that is fear of rejection. That if somebody could see the other side, the wrecked side, they're going to judge me. They're going to see my weakness. They're going to see my failure. They're going to see my inferiorities or my seemingly inferior traits. They're going to see these things and they're going to judge me. I won't measure up and they'll reject me. But God has taken all of that off the table by coming to our rescue and paying the highest price for us at the height, at the peak of our wickedness, our sin, and our rejection of him. The Bible says that while we were enemies with him, have you ever considered yourself an enemy of God before? Many of us have never even thought along those lines. But while we were, in, we were in, in, in his enemies, we were in enmity against the things of the kingdom of heaven through all of our behaviors, our choices, our actions, our decisions, our rejections of the gospel, he still loves us, manifests the fullness of love toward us, and sent his son to die in our place to take the full measure of his wrath. There's no room for fear of rejection. He's removed that from the table. When you were at your most rejectable, he accepted you. So then the question would be why? Why in the world would we pull up on one side, hide the dented side? Why would we walk in facade? Why would we not walk in light? Why would we walk in darkness? Why would we try to cover up those things when God's already revealed to us that he's going to love us, that he won't leave or forsake, that he won't reject. Could it be that it's because we, we don't know him? Because if we knew him and we knew his heart for us, then there wouldn't be any fear or any anxiety of rejection. We'd come to that place of that understanding of knowing his heart, his love, his affection for us on a personal and individual level. It wouldn't be filtered through knowledge about. It wouldn't be passed on as hearsay, but rather it would be connection with the person. I remember one time a, a man in ministry who had developed a reputation for being a monster. He, he was handed a congregation and he had 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 risen up and proven to be a very powerful and anointed minister of the gospel. He'd taken a, a small group of college kids and, and turned a city upside down. It went from some, you know, 20 children or 20 college kids to, to being in the thousands. And it was this incredible movement and people were excited about it. And so he was taken and, and made the, the senior pastor of this church. And this church would be considered a mega church and thousands and thousands of members. And then I began to hear rumors of the guy and the decisions he made and the choices he made. He became known as an axe man. He fired a bunch of people who had been there for years and were foundational in the church because they just you know, weren't cool enough. They were old-fashioned. They weren't with where he was taking things. And I heard all of these things and I thought, man, this guy, this guy is a monster. Then I heard other things about him, you know, that he was this and he was that and that he'd done this. And I heard all of these things about him and after hearing all these things about him, they formed my understanding or my awareness of who he was. 
And it was very unfortunate because the day I actually got to meet the guy, I found out something altogether different. I remember I got to, to spend time with him. We, we went, we ate lunch, I sat down, and I started to see this guy seems different than I thought he would be. You know, he doesn't have the, the, the things, and, and there's no tail or forked tongue, and, and he must have left his pitchfork in the car because he doesn't have it with him. He doesn't seem like the devil at all. As the conversation allowed, I just began to ask him, you know, I've got to say, I, I, I've heard terrible things. He said, yes, I know. I've heard them too. And it, it turned out that the guy, everything that I had heard about him was misleading. Everything that I had heard about him was a hindrance and a limitation to there being any fellowship. It was only when there was the actual knowing him, spending the time with him, listening to him, letting him listen to me. Only when there was actual fellowship was there the ability for a real relationship. Well, for some people, there's a hindrance, a, a fear to, to have no facade, to take the mask off, to, to show God every aspect of who you are. Let him have the full 360-degree view. To not hide anything. We, it can be a hindrance because of what we've heard about him, because of what others have told us or, or things like that. But once we come to respond to that call to get to know Jesus personally, all of the sudden, all of those desires to hide and to shrink away begin to melt away and disappear. And that's where fellowship exists. So in the sense of shrinking away and hiding from God, the need is to respond to his call to get to know him. Not just know about him, but respond to that call in fellowship. Walking in the light as he is in the light results in a couple of things. As you see that follows, fellowship with one another. When we refuse to keep one half in the shadow and one half in the dark, well, you know, I'll show up on Sunday and we can talk about these things, but let's not talk about that over there. But when we come to the point where we understand who God is, that he is our merciful father, that his love, was present in the midst of our rebellion and that that's not going to change because he himself cannot change. We can come to the place where there's no reason to keep anything hidden. The result would be fellowship with one another, walking cleansed from all sin. Sin simply bringing shame, shame leading to hiding. But walking in the freedom of those things resulting in fellowship with one another and the freedom that comes from light. I want to give you some results of knowing God. I mean, results of not just knowing about Him, you know, the attending of Sunday school and, and the, the reading of books, but the fellowship with Him. And by the way, all of the attending of Sunday school and all of the reading of books has always been intended to in, make an introduction. It's never been intended to substitute a relationship with God but rather it's been to make an introduction. That relationship is meant to thrive and to grow, even when we part ways from here. God is with you, abiding with you and in you, and speaking to him and receiving from him doesn't end when we say a final amen in a church service. And you know that, as well as I know that. 
But that's the call that we're called to. And here are results from knowing God. Not just knowing about God. Because what you'll find when you hear some of these results is there are plenty of people who know about God that don't walk in these results. But when we come to know God, when we come to have fellowship with Him, these are the results. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. It speaks of where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or there is freedom. Freedom's a result of knowing God. Freedom from what? Freedom from sin and captivity. I've had Sundays before where I'm thinking about, you know, the service and what all we need to do. And, oh, my goodness, did someone change the announcements? And in the middle of worship, I'll just remember, you know what, you, you need to get your act together. And I'll just lift my hands. I don't even know what part of the song we're on or what's being sung, but I'll just lift my hands. The reason why I'll lift my hands is because there was a time I couldn't. And if I did, it would have been like this. Hallelujah. These handcuffs are tight. But I'm free. And the things that were destroying my life, the things that were, were leading to destruction and frustration and, and all of the things that are darkness, all of those things no longer lead or guide my decisions or my choices. They no longer have an effect. That's the freedom. So there are times I'll just lift my hands all because I can. Freedom is a result of knowing God. And what's amazing is as a child, I knew about God. I mean, I grew up growing to church, and I could answer the questions, and I could, could, could quote the scriptures because all of those th things were introduced into my life as knowledge. But it was only when I met Jesus that I saw freedom, liberty from the things that were leading to captivity and bondage. Another result of knowing God is communication with him. Communication with God. And your prayer life is, is called to be a, a conversation. Oftentimes, you know, our prayer life can, can simply be a, a, a one-way street. Almost like you're a kid at camp writing letters home. Dear God, things are getting weird here. Please send me some stuff. I love you, your son, Preston. When the reality is God has made a way, a veil was ripped in two to signify that any hindrance between you having communication directly with him is now removed thanks to Jesus. And they, they used to, to sing a song and it became kind of a joke, you know. I mean, can we tell Aggie jokes here? I told an Aggie joke once and people got mad. It must have been a bunch of Aggies. But an Aggie had met his end and he stood at the pearly gates. And there was St. Peter and he looked at this graduate from Texas A&M. And he said, now we normally have a thing here where you have to be able to answer one question to get in. One question about God. I'm going to give you an easy one, so don't be nervous. You know, throughout the scripture, God reveals himself in many ways and reveals many names. Tell me one of the names of God, and you will enter into the blessings of your heavenly Father. And the Aggie stepped up and said, well, that's an easy one. Andy. There was a pause, and St. Peter looked and said, excuse me? He said, yeah, Andy. He said, I I'm sorry. Uh, 
why are you thinking that Andy is one of the names of God? He said, man, we used to sing it all the time in church. Andy walks with me. Andy talks with me. And yeah, so. But the communication with God is important. It's necessary. And in fact, when you look at the ministry that we walk in and everything that the gospel brings, you'll see the word reconcile. The Bible says that God was reconciling the world back to himself through Jesus. Reconciling you back to him through Jesus. Reconcile, meaning making it the way that it once was to reconcile. And when you look at the beginning, before sin, before corruption, before uh, redemption, when you see Adam and God, you see fellowship, you see communion, you see truly the walking and the talking together. Now the Bible makes this declaration and this promise that through Jesus more was given or restored than was ever lost through Adam. So if Adam would walk with Jesus and he would speak with Jesus and Jesus would speak with him and upon that being lost and then restored, more was restored to it, how much more should we walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, and hear Jesus? Communication. Jesus speaks about communication in John chapter 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. John chapter 10, verse 27. Another benefit from, of knowing God, another uh, result of knowing God in our lives is direction. Now, I mean, I've said this before and I don't mean it critically. It's not a criticism. I want to make that very clear. It's an observation that I think is worth noting. It's been years ago now, but there was a time when a man wrote a book about purpose for individuals and their lives. And that book became a, a phenomenon, a, a bestseller. That was revealing of something, that there are a lot of believers, a lot of Christians who don't feel any purpose in their life. They don't have direction. Direction is a result of not just knowing about God, but when we know God, direction is a result. When we have fellowship with Him, when we respond to the call to fellowship with Jesus Christ, direction is a result. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 refers to God as light. God is light, and in Him there's no darkness. I mean, what does light provide but the ability to see where you're going? Another passage of Scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 11. It says that the one who hates his brother walks in darkness. He doesn't know where he's going. Because he's blind. The one who does not love his brother is walking in the darkness and has no idea where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I mean, when we've got Jesus in our life leading us and guiding us into fellowship with one another, walking in the light as he himself is in the light, then we're not walking in darkness. And we know where we're going. Direction is a result of knowing God, fellowship with God. And of course, God himself, another benefit of knowing God is love, that God himself is love. You'll find this in 1 John chapter 4. 
First uh, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, and just take it through verse 8, speaks about love, and it speaks about uh, you and I and how our, we're called to, to walk in love. It says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, that's an interesting thing. I mean, everyone who loves is born of God. You would think that that might be enough to communicate what you're trying to get out there. But to go on then and reveal that that means that you would know God, not know about him, but know him, have fellowship with him. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. When we know God, loving becomes this wonderful result. The capability to love one another. And a heavenly love is the result of knowing God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. I mean, that used to be a song when I was a kid. I remember singing it. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. These are the passages of Scripture that we ought to look at, and and even though they're poetic and can be so soothing to the soul, we ought to take the time to look at them and examine what is this saying about my life to me? How should that impact me? It's more than chicken soup for the soul. It's more than just a comforting passage of Scripture, but rather it's identifying how I ought to examine my life. Am I loving others? Are others receiving the love of God through my life, through my words and actions? Or is my Christianity simply a a response to a few legalistic rules and obligations that result in me getting my ticket punched to heaven? But if I know God, not just know about God, if we have fellowship together, His influence will be revealed to this world through me. If Jesus Christ is the company we keep, His influence will be revealed. And that influence is powerful. That influence is ministry. That influence is liberating. When that love is flowing through our lives, the result is a freedom from all anxiety and fear. Now, we quote a passage of Scripture often, and it's a great one to quote here out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. That there's no fear in love, but that perfect love, God's perfect love, casts out all fear. It drives out anxiety. So then when we consider that, it makes perfect sense. That God would design the gospel the way it has been designed. It's intentional. It's not as if something just kind of worked out. And God is looking down from heaven and saying, well, you know what? We kind of rolled the dice on that one, but I think it's going to work out just fine. But that a world filled with anxiety, a world filled with worry, a world filled with doubt would be ministered to by a people committed to love and love for one another. A people committed to a calling to fellowship with the one who is love, that his influence might be revealed to a hurting world through their lives, through their words, through their choices, through their actions. Love is the antidote for fear and anxiety, worry and doubt. And as God's love reveals to us, through our lives, through our words, through our actions, His nature, and as that is revealed to the world, 
you see victory. I mentioned before that we would find what always succeeds, what never fails. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks of love, and in verse 8, you'll read these words, love never fails. So in a world filled with failure, moral failure, ethical failure, all kinds of corruption, every type of failure you could imagine, isn't it amazing that God has positioned us to be part of the solution? That we would be the conduit for the medicine that carries the cure for all of that failure, love. His nature revealed through us to this world for the purpose of bringing that which never fails into every trial, every tribulation, every circumstance, every failure. All that we might reveal the success of heaven to a hurting and wounded world. I want to pray for you this morning. You can keep your seat because we're not going to be dismissing immediately. But I want to ask for God to do something in our hearts. Now, I, I know the people in the room here. We're a small group and we have a, a, a great deal of fellowship. And I understand that, that for the most part, the people in this room have been liberated from a mentality that simply knows about God and have been set free into fellowship with God at a relational and personal level. But I want to ask God to stir those things in us for this purpose, that we might introduce others to Jesus. Because my goal is not to simply... Uh, know him as he would call me to, but my goal is to know him and let his influence be revealed through my life. My goal is to not just simply walk with him and talk with him for my own personal gain, but to walk with him and talk with him is to receive instruction to go and minister to those around me. My goal in having fellowship with him is not to just simply uh, let him know the things that I need, but my goal in having fellowship with him is to surrender all of who I am to him, to become more like him. I mean, John the Baptist said it right when he said, I must decrease and he must increase. The more we get to know Jesus and surrender our thinking and surrender our attitudes and our actions to fellowship with him, the more his influence is revealed through us. And the more his influence is revealed through us, the more ministry this world receives. God's solution to the world's problem. So there where you sit, I want to pray, and I want to ask God to do this work in our hearts, to rekindle and refresh the importance of not just knowing about him, but knowing him. Father, we bless your name, and we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you have brought into our lives to sanctify us, to protect us from the corruption that exists in this world. We give you thanks that all of the materials that we've been so richly blessed with to know about you. But we desire for knowledge about you to inspire us to seek after knowing you that we would not limit our fellowship with you to simply the gathering of information, but let us acknowledge that our King Jesus 
was risen from the grave, alive forevermore, that we might have fellowship with him. Let us see the chief cornerstone of our faith in such a light that we would speak to him, anticipating that he would speak back to us. That we would look to him, knowing that he's looking upon us. That there would truly be fellowship. And let there be a willingness to take off every disguise and every mask. That there would be nothing hidden but an understanding and an awareness that you love us. That you're committed and devoted to our growth and our maturity, our well-being. And that you've made that abundantly clear in our redemption. Let a powerful effect take place in each of us here. That there would be a rekindling of a desire for fellowship with you. And as we seek you in your word, as we seek you in our prayers, let it not be with any measure of disconnection or be one-sided in any way, but let it be truly fellowship. That we would offer unto you what you are worthy to receive in all of our thanksgiving and our gratitude. And that we might be open to receive from you that which you so richly bless us with, your wonderful counsel, the wonders of your glory, your love and your affection, and your affirmation for each of us. Let us receive these things in such a measure that we would be forever changed and transformed. And let the result be ministry, that everywhere we go and everyone we would engage with would be exposed to Jesus. We bless your name and we thank you in Jesus' name. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.